2: JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: You are listening to missed Apex Tech Time with Summer's F1. We live F1. Welcome everybody to our season-ending tech review, and that's right, it's going to be our last show for the year, and we have saved the best for last. I'm just going to let you know, we're going to be off until January 9th, when we'll have a pre-recorded show, and then the live stream will be back January 15th, for those of you who will be looking for some New Year content As always, I'm your host, Matt Trumpets, and we are once again fortunate enough to be joined by the hardest working man in Tech F1, Matthew Summerfield, a.k.a. Summers F1, Assistant Technical Editor at Motorsport.com, who is staying to sit down and share some wisdom with us. It's good to see you again. Thanks for
3: taking the time. It's been... uh... A a great Christmas period, hasn't it, Matt? I hope you've uh, enjoyed that turkey. I know we're on a pre-record, but at the end of the day, those guys out there that are listening and watching along now uh, will have had Christmas yesterday, and hopefully they had a good time, and hopefully you did too.
1: Yes, and uh, the same to you. And hopefully we have a few extra F1 Christmas content presents for our listeners. So before we jump into the show, I just want to remind everyone we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. And we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And when I say we, that would be us and not you. So let's talk about, because this is a season end review. I want to go back. I want to set the scene here. I want to go back to the very beginning because we had some pretty big changes to the aerodynamic rules. They didn't seem like they were big changes at first, but they had sort of an Outside, outsize impact. So, why did we have these changes, and and what was the effect of them overall on the field?
3: Okay, so there were several changes made. Um, I think that the thing to remember as well is that they weren't all made in one large. Uh, portion uh, the FIA doled out separate versions of what was going to be uh, done to the 2021 regulations and I think we must also remember it when we went into 2021 we were doing what was called a carryover over chassis uh, first time that we've seen this in Formula One where all of the teams uh, have had to basically carry over their cars from the previous year uh, in as much as the you know the 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 core design of the car. Uh, and then obviously we've had changes to some of the aerodynamic components. Uh, the floor cutout is what probably the one that most people are, are aware of. We had the diffuser strikes cut down and we also had the rear brake ducts, uh, the, the winglets on the rear brake ducts cut down as well so from an aerodynamic point of view uh, that made the, the car a little bit more sensitive and the reason that we went down that route in the first place was because of the uh, pirelli tires and trying to reduce some of the aerodynamic outputs or downforce that the cars were generating
1: and so that would essentially then be to, to keep those tires from going pop for uh to use the technical wording
3: that's right yeah i mean the, the loads that the uh, the tyre manufacturer Pirelli was seen was significant um, at the end of 2020, and obviously they were initially heading into 2021 believing that we wouldn't make a change to uh, the tyre and we would have the previous year's tyre. However, obviously that changed again as we entered the season, and Pirelli arrived with a new, com- you know, a new uh, type of construction and, uh, and whatnot for the tyres, which you know kind of robbed some of the performance again from. Uh, the the teams but obviously we'll see how they eroded that throughout the course of the season
1: yeah now one of the biggest stories at the beginning of the year was sort of what seemed to be a very disparate impact of these rules and in fact patty and our uh, slack group our patron asked how much did the new floor regulations actually impact the low-rate cars and how did the different teams react improve and which one did best in my own multi-part question honor he asked this so i 'm going to put you on the spot immediately. Was it really was it aimed specifically at those teams at dragging back Mercedes more than say Red Bull or other teams, or did it just work out that way, and who did the best job overall? Do you think
3: well again, I think it 's a bit of a combination of both I think that you know that might be seen me as a bit of a get out but uh, we have to remember that regulations have been formed over the years to try to uh, Level the playing field somewhat. Uh, we've seen when Red Bull were at their most dominant, and they were the ones that most affected by every regulation change, or that's how it seemed because the, the rulemakers are trying to reduce the amount of downforce and they had the most downforce in that generation. We still also have the same sort of thing going on with, uh, the Mercedes of, of the, the last few years. You know, they were generating perhaps the most downforce on the grid. And so that then looks like they're being, Unfairly targeted when it comes to the amount of uh, losses that they that they get when you're associating the rule changes. Um, in terms of how the top two teams were affected, we have to remember that there's other criteria involved in the improvements of Red Bull. It isn't only chassis that they made their gains. We also have the power unit gains that they got from Honda. So it's a multifaceted argument that you have, you have to look at this from. It's not just one thing that changed the entire landscape. It's, you know, several things at play.
1: Fair enough. And I believe you mentioned this already, but one thing that absolutely did make the team's life harder is there was also a restriction as to what they were allowed to change going into this season.
3: Yeah, obviously we've we've talked in the past about the token system. that was bought in because of the cost-saving element and also in order that, obviously, this homologation process could be followed so that people didn't just go off and change all sorts of things on their chassis uh, so that they were effectively carrying a, a large proportion of last year's car into 2021. And that was all about the you know the, the pandemic caused this situation for Formula 1 where we needed to, to try to cut costs. Now, obviously, there was a lot of talk about where tokens have and were spent Uh, at the start of 2021 and the obvious um, team that nobody really understood what was going on with was Mercedes which we now understand what was going on I I have mentioned in the past what I my understanding of this situation was and it appears that I was correct um, as was you know a number of other uh, technical analysts Uh, it was the the lowest hanging fruit it was available to Mercedes, considering what we could see on the car that had or hadn 't been changed during the launch, and that was as we now found out, Mercedes had the option to change their nose cone throughout two thousand twenty one and decided although they 'd technically spent those tokens and i 'll go into the reasons why i 'm saying they 've spent those tokens, they just didn 't deploy them that 's the difference here they had to. Give the option of what they were going to spend their tokens on at a certain point during 2020 and that's where the crux of this token system is a little bit more complex than it might first appear from the outside
1: okay so before we talk about the mercedes in a little more depth where did the other teams uh spend their tokens and as i understand it uh, a couple of teams might have actually gotten a free ride as well
3: yeah, I mean that was a bit of the controversy that we we had when the token system was deployed by the FIA. Um, Aston Martin and uh, Alpha Tauri were given the opportunity to take parts from the people that they're supplied by, i.e., Mercedes and Red Bull Technologies. Uh, from the previous year's specification uh, which would technically be an upgrade for them so effectively Aston Martin got a free gearbox gearbox upgrade and Alpha AlphaTauri were allowed to get a change of their front suspension and steering rack which is what Red Bull had run in the previous year so they got a free ride in that respect and then were still able to spend their tokens elsewhere so it was a bit um, of a, of a Difficult situation for the FIA to to try to manage that. AlphaTauri went on to, went on to spend their two tokens on a new nose, and Aston Martin changed the side impact support spars, uh, which allowed them to run that that sort of high inlet that everybody else had got. Uh, in terms of the rest of the, the grid, we've got Red Bull, Ferrari, and Alpine running. Uh, new uh, gearbox carriers um, so that they made improvements at the rear, re- rear end of the car. We know that Ferrari had some torsional stiffness issues with the rear end of their previous machine, so that's where they made their gains this year. Uh, McLaren couldn't spend any tokens because they had to use their tokens on uh, the power unit installation because they moved from the Renault power unit to the Mercedes. Um, and then we've got Alfa Romeo with a new nose Again, a two-token spend. And then there's two interesting ones at the back end of the grid. Uh, Haas spent nothing because they basically weren't really interested in this year's car at all, so it seems. Uh, And then Williams actually spent one token the previous season to rectify a problem that they'd got. Now, that's undisclosed. We still don't know exactly where they spent that token. But it then meant that they'd only got one token left to spend and they decided to leave that unspent.
1: Yeah, it seems like um, Williams, kind of like Haas, might be saving up some money for a really big, uh, bigger push in um, 22 when the new regulations come in. So let's talk about the, the Mercedes a little bit. Why are you saying they spent them but didn't deploy them? And ultimately, what was the issue that kept that deployment from happening? Because it seems kind of strange that they would go to all the effort and then not actually even bother to run the
3: park. Okay, so the the story unfolds in as much as that the FIA set target dates at which point that the tokens had to be allocated. So you had a certain line in the sand. You couldn't just go into 2021 and then say, well, I'm going to spend these tokens at a certain point it was prior to that in 2020 that they had to inform the fia as to where they were going to spend them so these two tokens are quite important because obviously they can have an uh, quite an important impact on performance now as i've mentioned a lot of the teams use them in specific areas where they thought they could gain quite significantly uh, the rear end predominantly for red bull ferrari and alpine uh, being the 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 big ticket numbers Um, but mercedes had already invested a huge amount at the rear end of their car the previous year so they didn't feel that they would make much gains there they looked at the aerodynamic regulations and that's where i feel that they felt that they could make the the biggest boost so a two token spend on the nose is effectively where they put their money uh, as did Alfa Romeo and Alfa Tauri, for that matter. And to be honest, Ferrari would have done as well. Had they had two more tokens at their disposal, I'm quite sure they would have changed their nose because they had to do some very interesting design changes to their nose to, to try to get more performance from it. However, where we stumble over with Mercedes is I think that they went into 2021, perhaps not quite realising where the... um the gains were going to come from in terms of the aerodynamics and we know they had problems at the start of the season and they had to go under what you would call a rectification program in order to try to resolve some of the aerodynamic issues that the new regulations had caused them and in doing so I think that at that point then they just stepped away from introducing the nose because they couldn't really gain the kind of performance that they had ori- originally anticipated would be available to them
1: Wait, I'm looking through my uh, handbook of summer's catchphrases. Are you vaguely referring to the aerodynamic handshake from the front of the car all the way to the back, that the fixing they did on the back meant that their original front design just wouldn't be optimal anymore?
3: That's right, yeah. I mean, basically, because you rectify something with changes throughout the course of the season some of the work that you've originally done that could be kind of 12 15 16 weeks in process suddenly becomes almost redundant so you have to walk back that that development and I think that's where some of the teams became a little bit unstuck at the start of 2021 because of the regulation changes that we saw Um, they had anticipated what they would be developing and had to kind of walk some of that stuff back
1: Okay, so I think I have this question farther down the page, but I'm just going to ask it now. Is what you're talking about also one of the reasons why Aston Martin just did so unbelievably poorly this season? Were they sort of hampered by this same um, rectification of their car so that their token spend didn't pay off in the way that they maybe originally anticipated
3: yeah i I completely would agree with that to be honest i I think if we wind back to the start of the season i actually kind of had decent expectations from master martin Um, looking at the amr 21 when it was first released um, it looked like a very aggressive design as if they'd really spent a a serious amount of time trying to resolve um, the new regulations but it appears that because of the you know, the the low-rake versus high-rake issue that you've already mentioned, they kind of fell foul of that and then had to go through what I'm talking about with this rectification program. A lot of their upgrades in the first half of the season where you would normally be looking to add performance were really merely just trying to recover performance that they'd already lost.
1: Okay. All right. So I want to move on now to what I think and I believe you think as well – is really the biggest, most amazing story of the season. It wasn't the championship battle that was boring and for people who aren't interested in the cars. The most amazing thing to me about this season was the focus on the rear wings throughout the whole season. That was the big enchilada. We saw Mercedes yelling at Red Bull, Red Bull yelling at Mercedes. We saw broken DRSs. We saw... Who knows what that thing was that was going on there at the end. But I want to go back. Why was Mercedes so focused on Red Bull's rear wing coming into Barcelona?
3: Okay, so it's been called a few things. Uh, The most technical way of explaining it is a flexi-wing. Um, I, I've heard Sky report it as a limbo wing. I think that's Ted Kravitz's uh, latest way of describing what was going on. And to be fair, it is quite accurate because um, what we saw from Red Bull, and not only Red Bull, might I add, there are other teams on the grid that were doing very similar, and in fact, perhaps even more so than Red Bull, um, is actually stretching the rear wing backwards. So they're tilting the angle of the rear wing in order to reduce the amount of drag on the straights.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, wait. There was a team that was doing it more than Red Bull. You've got to to tell me which team was it.
3: Okay, so there was a couple, I I believe, that were at least on par with Red Bull, if not doing things a little bit further. Alpine perhaps being one of them and Alfa Romeo being one of the others. Uh, Okay. As I say, everybody was up to it. It's just to the degree of what you actually get from them um, and how it impacts them at different circuits. That's just remember, don't you know? These kind of technical intricacies don't always work at just one particular track. You you know, just noting the famous Mercedes um, suspension that everybody sort of jumped on the bandwagon at at the end of the season um, as a way of reducing drag that has basically been on the car for over a decade, uh, but suddenly got thrown under the, the spotlight um, because let's just say there was a lot of political campaigning going on in the background to try to remove performance um, from certain teams. And so, you know, the, this is the thing with, with the technical intricacies of the sport. They're, they're multifaceted. They're not just one layer. Um, it's like an onion peeling them back and, and finding how they work specifically for one team and then how they work at specific tracks as well
1: yeah well one of the more interesting things to me is for all that the regulations got changed because mercedes went on this pr offensive with sky because because had had they come well let me ask you had they complained about it prior to going public on with sky about it and and met with not much response do you know
3: Well, this is the other thing um, that I find very interesting about the way that this year has unfolded from a technical aspect. It appears that everything's been done in the public eye in order to force hands. Um, I th- feel like a lot of what we've seen changed within the technical sphere this year um, during the season is things that have developed over a long period of time. You know, things like the pit stops for argument's sake that we then suddenly had uh, the change to during the season. Um, these are things that have not just happened immediately. They're things that we've had you know, for years and years in in the sport. And yes, um, they got to a point that perhaps was untenable. um, But, you know, it's not something that is brand new. It's something that's been developing behind the scenes. And the FIA can only, in in some respects, do so much um, and without making it look as if they are mistreating one team over another, um, which invariably is what, as tended to happen uh, when these things are dragged out into the spotlight.
1: Well, it's an interesting dynamic. And I was really surprised because my understanding of your usual format would be you would simply write an email to Michael Mazzi, because he's also the tech rep, I believe, and say, I have a question. I've been considering increasing the aero elasticity of my rear wing in plates so that they will fold at 90 degrees parallel to the ground. And I was just wondering what the FAA might think about that. And then he would write back and say, we would take a dim view of that. And then you would say, oh, well, that's interesting because we've seen similar performance on other cars. And then they would be sort of forced to clarify where the regulations sat. But here it seems like Mercedes wasn't happy. But I feel like I need to stress, there was nothing illegal about Red Bull or Alpines or Alfa Romeos or anyone else's wing or what it was doing at the time they went on television was there
3: exactly this is this is the thing um, because of the way we don't dynamically test let's put it that way um, load testing or deflection tests they're all yeah. done on a rig in the FIA scrutineering bay um, it, it's difficult to ascertain what is actually happening out on track. I mean, I I know we'll come back to this in a a short while, but some of what they've done during the course of this season now looks to try to override those factors uh, to allow them to see what is actually happening whilst things are going out on track. There's still ways of misinterpreting those things, um, which is, again, perhaps what has happened under certain circumstances this year. Um, But I do feel... It might also be important to remember that um, it's not actually Massey that's involved in that side of the protests and uh, the technical side of things anymore. Tombiasis uh, looks after um, that department as such. Uh, it's one of the roles that changed after Charlie uh, sadly passed away uh, and Massey took over. They've, they've also got Tom Biasis in the background who helps uh, with the, um, the the technical regulations um, and, and all of the scrutineering aspect of the sport to take some of that load away from Massey. Okay. So when you talk about measuring dynamically,
1: you're, you're talking about those dots that they put on the wings at Barcelona and what did they discover and what made them because they ultimately updated they didn't go with a dynamic test, ultimately. They said, we're going to increase the load of the static test, and we're going to also test it from a different place, I believe. Why did they respond that way, rather than just going with a dynamic test, do you think?
3: I think the problem with a dynamic test is how you actually apply it. Um, and for decades now, we've worked on the FIA scrutineering bay, um, uh, trying to add new tests on the fly uh, that, are, that create... Would create an, an an additional problem I feel for the FIA um, to be able to manage the dots that you mentioned that they, they were added to the uh, the rear wing top flap and main plane, and the reason that they were put there uh, are as reference points for when the FIA checked from the onboard rear facing camera you could then use a high speed camera in that location and you can see how much the wing technically moves relevant to the reference point um, teams have been doing that for a very long time themselves um, they use it quite often on the front wing just to check to make sure that they're not actually over deflecting because they're all chasing this deflection this is what we have to remember the teams will always push to the outer limits of what is possible because there is always a gain to do so you know you, you want a flexi wing but you want to do it in a way that is actually legal. So this is what was going on. All of these teams were doing something that is technically not really supposed to be going on, but is technically not really outlawed because you can't make a a wing that is inflexible because it would completely shatter. So there has to be some flexibility built into them. It's just how and why they're doing it. And the reason why they're doing it is to reduce drag, which obviously then increases top speed.
1: Right. And so uh, you're essentially putting forth the Sebastian Vettel. It wasn't a jump start because the measuring device says it wasn't a jump start, even if he very clearly (laughs) left the blocks before everybody else.
3: Yeah. You're not cheating unless you get caught.
1: Yeah. And the test, the test is what it is. And then the teams are simply divining, designing the flexiest wing they can to gain maximum advantage under those particular sets of regulations. And now, how long how long have they been chasing this kind of
3: performance? Flexi-wings. Yeah. I mean, this uh, particular the,
1: rear wing flexi-wing, not the, in general.
3: The, the, there's, well, there's different types that have emerged over the years um, of flexi-rear wings because of the amount of drag that potentially you're giving up by not having flexible rear wings. Now, during the mid-2000s, they used to um, – flex the the flaps in order that they're closed so that effectively the, the, the wing became too high a, an angle of attack and it would effectively stall that's why we've got the slot gap separators which will come to slot gap se- separators later in the show uh, based on another incident that happened later in the season Um but yeah, I mean, flexible wings, as I say, it's decades. 99, effectively, was the first time that the FIA really introduced a test to, to, to prevent teams, 98 or 99, um, to, to prevent teams doing this sort of thing or try to rein it in, you know, because that's all they're doing. They're never going to prevent it. The teams are always going to try to do it. It's just how much they're able to do it because of the tests that are involved.
1: Okay. So with that, we have a new test introduced because the fia on balance and maybe it was because of the weight of public opprobrium uh, reflected on sky and other channels or just because people didn't understand that that was simply the game that all the teams were playing said we have new rules and they introduced a timeline um and i believe that mattered later on when we were talking about the separate drs rules that we'll get to but about how long did they give the teams to react to the new rule
3: okay so the, the the whole problem came up around the Spanish Grand Prix uh, because of what Mercedes threw into the spotlight around um Red Bull's limbo wing, if we're going to use that that term for it. Um, they were given until the French Grand Prix. Uh, to come in line with the new tests. However, there was also a 20% margin between the French Grand Prix, and I think it was two races after that. Um, I'd have to double-check my um, calendar. It's been a long year, um, especially from the technical side of things. We've seen so much going on. Um, so there's many waypoints for me to remember throughout the course of this year. I have to uh, set out a calendar, I think, for myself, so I can remember this for years to come. Um but or you yeah, could just be
1: like me and forget
3: everything. <laughs> that could be an idea. Um, but yeah, there the, the was some margin for error, let's say, built in for the teams for a, a, a you know a, a few extra races beyond the test becoming valid, uh, just in case they arrived and the new wings that they bought still weren't fully compliant. Because we have to remember that obviously that the test was more strict. Uh, so they couldn't technically bring just the wing that they might have been cheating with before. We use the word cheating quite loosely in that sense yes. um, because they weren't cheating. Um, they just were once the new reels were introduced. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a long, long period. But for me, that kind of took the wind out of some team sales as well in terms of development. Because what what we have to remember about 2021 is we're also against the backdrop of development development um, time in the wind tunnel and CFD from a percentage point of view. Each team this year was skewed in what they could actually do um, to try to handicap the, the better teams and bring everybody closer together, um, which will be even larger gapping for next season. And we've also got the cost cap as a background as well to consider. So suddenly throwing these spanners in the works um only made the life much more difficult for all of the teams.
1: Okay. So I'm gonna ask one more general question, although I think we'll get to the specifics in, in a little bit. The main goal of this for Mercedes had to be targeting Red Bull performance. They must have been concerned about their ability to compete given their commitment to the 22 development timeline and as you mentioned the other factors with the restricted wind tunnel and cfd time and just the the general um cost cap so did did mercedes succeed did this actually impact red bull's performance in a meaningful way through the championship do you think
3: I would suggest it did um, quite significantly at points, um, just purely from the fact that you look at the the trap figures um, and you can see where they start to tail um, compared to the rest of the field. Um, So everybody kind of got caught in that mud trap in some respects, but you can kind of also see where certain teams were hurt significantly more than others um, with Red Bull being towards the top of that tree and Mercedes perhaps not so much towards the top of that tree. Now, you have to remember that Mercedes perhaps weren't chasing this particular line of development because of the suspension scenario that we've already mentioned. So this is where you have you know underlying stories that overlap with one another. And the other factor that you have to remember, is, especially in terms of development, is that whilst we're watching a particular race weekend and thinking of time linear the rate that the, the teams have already been at that race 14, 15 weeks ago in terms of developments, if not longer. You know, some of the developments that we see arrive on cars take a significant amount of time because you have to think about them going through design, iteration, CFD, iteration, wind tunnel, fail, back to design, so on, so forth. And then obviously they have to be built. Um, so. Some of the stuff that we see arrived at planned for, say, the Spanish Grand Prix, which is generally a waypoint development point for all of the teams, has been in the loop, in the design loop for a very, very long time. In fact, probably just after the start of the preseason test.
1: Okay. So before we move on to the Red Bull counterattack, I do want to ask, was there any other collateral damage? I mean, you mentioned Alpine and Alpha. Do you think that they were they suffered um Asymmetrically compared to some of their competitors
3: possibly, but there's another factor that that also lines up pretty horrendously with the uh, limbo wing situation, and I know you you've got it because I can see it in the, your show notes and we might deviate there a little bit later on. but you have to remember from a timing perspective the blowout that Max sustained it, yeah. And Lance Stroll sustained at Baku is very much in line with this storyline. And the changes that unfolded in regards to the tyre situation obviously then also have an impact on the FlexiWing story. So it's, that's what I'm saying about it being a multifaceted technical season. I love these, these type of seasons. We, we've had many of them, but this one was especially um, interlaced.
1: Okay, so so there you're referencing the tire blankets and the pressures and stuff like that,
3: yeah? Yes, yes. The changes that were made by Pirelli after Baku.
1: Okay, so I think we will cover that. But first, let's address what Red Bull did. And really, uh, remarkably to me, they noticed something on Mercedes' rear wing, and they went, um, I don't know, they turned it up to 11 on social media, and through some of their favourite commentators on certain uh, TV channels, did they not?
3: Yeah, I mean, there there was a bit of an open discord, let's put it that way, um, in the public eye uh, around what was supposedly happening with the Mercedes rear wing. Uh, Obviously, we had the incident in Brazil where Lewis Hamilton's rear wing failed the test uh, the load test, and that didn't help the situation from an optics point of view, but it was a genuine failure that was kind of irrelevant to the the point that we that they were trying to make in in many respects that in in my opinion um, although it was obviously in a very similar area to what they were contesting to be the issue now that whole incident regarding Mercedes um, and their rear wing is very different to the scenario that we saw with the Red Bull rear wing. Um, What Red Bull were contesting is what I talked about earlier is the slot gap. So when the wing is in a closed position, i.e. when DRS is inoperable, um, there should be a 10 to 15 millimetre gap. When it's open, there should be an 85 millimetre gap. Um, the, The test that was failed by, Lewis Hamilton was to do with the eighty-five millimetre gap. The situation with Red Bull is that they were contesting that the gap at the closed position, the ten to fifteen millimetre, was the 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 one that they were you know questioning as to being legal, um, suggesting almost that the trailing edge of the flap was being deflected downwards which technically opens the gap slightly if we think back to the f duct and how that worked and how it stalled the rear wing that is kind of the realms without getting into too much of a technical mud pit uh, what they were trying to do Um, is technically trying to reduce the uh the drag on the rear wing this is what Red Bull was suggesting was happening with the Mercedes rear wing, is that they were effectively trying to stall the rear wing. Now, they came out with their pictures showing um, some score marks, um, apparently, on the rear wing. Now, you've seen the picture, Matt, that I showed you from Bahrain. Bahrain, remember when Bahrain was? Yeah, that was the first race of the season. And these score marks, as Red Bull referred to them, were also on the the wing in Bahrain, so that would suggest one of two things: either they aren't school marks, or what Red Bull was suggesting was never happening in the first place. So, I'll, I'll leave you to decide which you prefer as as the narrative there. Um, but for for my money, I don't believe that there was a huge amount going on in this particular area because this it's a very difficult thing to do what they were, what they were intending or, or what Red Bull were suggesting was going on.
2: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
1: Okay, so let's take it that whatever Red Bull thought was going on was probably not going. And and I would say, really, from Mercedes' response, it, it it seemed like they were not the least bit concerned about anything that was being said there. Why were Red Bull banging on so much about this? What what was the point if there was not an actual valid complaint that they could get Mercedes
3: pegged back for? Well, should we just add that the FIA did actually add an extra test to, yeah. you know, allay any fears that this was actually happening. And and although it wasn't technically going to infringe upon any results, the FIA wanted to make sure and prove that this wasn't actually occurring. So they added additional weight onto the rear trailing edge of the rear wing, not only of the Mercedes, of other cars on the grid as well to just determine and make sure that this wasn't a trick that was being deployed. Um, and, uh, you know, just covering off that, that matter in many respects, but I've forgotten where we where we were going before that.
1: Well, I was just asking why Red Bull might have been making such a big deal about it, especially if, as they must've suspected, there wasn't really any or much, even if Mercedes had had to change something, they weren't going to peg them back by half a second a lap. I mean, it it was not a big target to begin with, just based on your description of it.
3: Yeah, so basically, I think there's a a bit of a magician's type of trick going on here. Have a look at this hand whilst I do something else nefarious with my other hand that you aren't going to see because it's off camera. Um, You know, they had their own problems with their rear wing, um, which, you know, the... My article, um which we'll probably put in the show notes there's a lot of stuff in there explaining what goes on because trying to explain every minutiae here might be a little bit difficult, but essentially, they had issues with their what appeared to be d r s But it turns out that looking through some of the pictures and video footage that they actually had a problem with the overall structure of their rear wing, be it their medium downforce or their high downforce. They don't appear to have had the same problem with the low downforce rear wing. And this plays back into the limbo wing scenario. Because if we think about the limbo wing, um, if if you then use that particular design, and suddenly you're not able to tilt the rear wing rearwards as you were before, Um, you're adding more load. You're adding more load, you're adding more stress. And suddenly you've got a design of a rear wing that can't perhaps take the stress that it was originally designed for. Now, there's several design issues with every rear wing. You know, everybody makes compromises, based on their own design decisions to try to get the maximum amount of downforce versus the least amount of drag now one thing that teams have begun to do over the last i don't know decade or so is reduce the thickness of their rear wing end plates in order that they can add aero trinkets you know sort of i don't know Upstrakes and all sorts of aerodynamic devices to try to reduce the tip vortices. You know, you see them in certain conditions, you'll see the tip vortices flying off the back of the rear wing. Now they want to try to manage those a little bit differently. So there's several designs um, that, that teams go through in that respect and they try to cheat the overall width of the, uh, the main plane and the top flap as well. They want additional area available to them so they create what i like to call fillet profiles um beside the the, the two main elements taking up some of the area where the end plate should technically be but isn't um these fillet profiles fill in there now red bull have got uh, fillet profiles that literally are just little winglets um whereas the likes of alpine and mercedes to take um A different look at theirs they they use like a structure um that defines the area more securely um now for me what was happening with the red bull rear wing is that because of the amount of flexure that's going on these fillets are are kind of floating around a little bit more um and it makes it very difficult for the, the the top flap to close as effectively as it perhaps should do and then that obviously then leads to the issues that we saw with them having with the DRS not opening and closing correctly and the the famous flutter uh, that we saw uh, at the end of straights like in Brazil uh, when max had these qualifying laps so i think a lot of what we saw with red bull was deflection they were trying effectively to to, to take the story off of themselves and try to place it somewhere else a, a bit of uh, you know the magician's magician's trick
1: Okay, so if I'm understanding this correctly, these extra little fillet sections at the back of the Red Bull were deflecting, kind of like their end plates were deflecting. In other words, Red Bull was trying to use aero elasticity in that region of the wing, probably to reduce drag when the DRS slot was closed and when it was open. But that because the incident angle, the angle that the wing was now hitting the air at, was a little more upright because of the new rules that Mercedes got instituted. They ran into trouble with their DRS operating properly and the resulting stress from it not operating properly caused them to have all their wing issues such that we didn't even see really that medium downforce wing in the last couple of races.
3: Yeah, I mean, just to, to put some timeline on it, uh, the, at Qatar, They really wanted to run the medium downforce wing, but they just couldn't get it to work without issues with the drs actuator with the linkages we saw them making multiple changes on both cars trying to get this to work and in the end they had to move to the high downforce rear wing which inadvertently they were slightly quicker in certain parts of the track on that wing um which just goes to show perhaps they were they they were pushing a little much uh, a little bit more in terms of performance onto the power unit uh, to overcome those issues um and then you know, in Brazil, they ran that medium downforce wing that had problems in qualifying with the flutter. Um, Saudi Arabia, uh, we saw them on the low, low downforce wing when originally I think they were intending on using the medium downforce wing. And in the last race of the season um, in Abu Dhabi, everybody would expect them to be running a medium downforce wing and they were on the low downforce wing. Um, so... That has a compound issue in terms of the way that you run the car from a setup point of view, and the deck that you get on the tires as well, because you imagine if you're using a, a wing that you aren't thinking that's optimal you're going to sacrifice tire performance in certain parts of the track, so it's a compounding issue that they they had, and then they, then you're sort of scrabbling for performance from other aspects of the car, be it chassis or from the power unit so you know it was a it was a managing situation, I believe towards the end of the season from Red Bull, which they did a, a very good job of um, in terms of being able to recover performance from other aspects of their their, their car design. Um, but I do feel that they were a little bit on the back foot because of the issues they were having with the rear wing, um, be it the, the medium or high downforce rear wing. Uh, and obviously um, with the backdrop of what we've already mentioned in terms of cost cap and redesigning these items at the back end of a season where you've got a big change coming next year wasn't really possible for them Uh, so it just made it a, a very difficult prospect to manage
1: okay and here's where i break in i've been very fair to michael mazzi but were it not for that last lap at abu dhabi everyone right now in my opinion would be talking about that story as the reason Lewis won his eighth championship, and Mercedes also managed to take the constructors. Because it seems like, from your description, it, it really changed the course of the championship. Mercedes had a decided advantage. I mean, yes, I know the power unit played a part in it as well, but they, they had a decided advantage over the last portion of the season when they needed it most.
3: Yeah, I mean, you only have to look at the uh, performance advantage that Lewis had um, before the the famous incidents. Um, was it eleven and a half, twelve second gap uh, to Verstappen? Um, the, the, this is where the the for me the the big story is this season is that start of the season Red Bull had the better car. There is no two ways about it. The the RB16B was the better car and they spent a huge amount of their development budget on that car at the start of the season and, and in fact spent development budget pretty much until halfway, if not b- beyond uh, in the season to try to continue to apply that pressure. But as the season unfolded and these technical intricacies um, sort of you know, the stories that are, we, we've just talked about started to unfold. They started to erode some of that performance advantage. And on top of that, Mercedes obviously had a poor start to the season because of the regulation changes. They made the recovery necessary and then started to find uh, a huge amount of performance in terms of setup from their car as well, just understanding how to get more from the car, especially from a ride height ride height point of view, uh, which is quite an important aspect of um gaining the setup in my opinion Uh, and also the tires (laughs) again moving back to Baku and what happened with the tires well let's let's go ahead and talk about the tires
1: you mentioned we mentioned the blankets and the pressures and even the stems we thought that the Pirelli essentially if I understood it thought the teams were playing games with the pressures a little bit and so they updated some rules did that solve the problem
3: in many respects it solved the problem i i think it was an eye opener for for for, for parelli they felt as if i think they'd had the wall pulled over their eyes for for quite a period of time and suddenly they they, they were awake to a situation uh, and how the the tires had been misoperated um in their eyes. Let's not, let's just say this is tantamount to what happened with the tyre swapping in 2012. Um, and the fact that obviously, uh, Post that, there were many changes made to the way in which the tyres were operated from there onwards and Pirelli were able to mandate and prescript certain things like minimum tyre pressures, no tyre swapping and camber, etc. And I think this was just more of the same of that. It was suddenly Pirelli realising, hang on a minute, these guys have been doing this and we hadn't realised what was going on. Um, Now we're going to have to set new benchmarks for them and that will take some performance away from them and it will be an uneven amount of performance depending on who has been doing what and how our new rules applies to each team in terms of their setup and i think that's why we saw a bit of a flip in terms of some of the team's performance towards the back end of the season because they suddenly started to unlock the ways to to get more from the tires in the back end of the season
1: okay um our listener pete Uh, Shilcock asks, uh, were the Pirelli tire life predictions reliable? When did teams overstep this and when did tires cause issues within their limits?
3: Okay, so Pirelli tire life predictions, I find to be one that is very difficult for them to to achieve because all of the teams are doing something very different all of them have got very different downforce levels different drivers different engine maps there's so much going on from a technical point of view and they give out obviously a, a sort of a a woolly let's put it that way um, tire prediction in terms of life um, and in the most part I think they do quite well with it however there's there's a lot of margin for error so Pirelli always come under a lot of flack for the tyres the and obviously the issues that we've had. And you, a lot of what happens with Pirelli tyres is circumstantial. You know, cuts in tyres from debris, uh, cuts in tyres from sharp kerbs. Um, t- uh, teams doing certain things that perhaps they shouldn't be doing with the tyres but it's always laid at Pirelli's door whenever there's a there's a tyre failure and they never really seem to get a fair rub of the green so I, I do find that it is really the teams that do most of the overstepping uh, rather than Pirelli you know they're they're there providing a product that they've been asked to provide by the FIA you know they, they don't have to provide a high deg tyre as they have in the past um, you know, it's not really something that they would create for their tire brand uh, for a road car at the end of the day. You know, it's something very specific um, to create entertainment. So I do find that they take a lot of slack, uh, a lot of flack for for no particular reason. Um, uh, and the teams really should bear a little bit more brunt to that.
1: Yeah, well, in a way, it sounds kind of like the same manner they approach the static test on the rear wing versus how much can I make it bend while still passing the static test they seem to take the guidelines from Pirelli and then say how much can we bend these to gain more performance without asking the subsequent question what could that possibly do (laughs) to the tires on lap 58 when I've tried to run a one-stop
3: and they go bang that's precisely it I mean, at the end of the day, the teams are there to find performance, and it, no matter how it comes, as long as it stays within the written regulations, which is what the teams do then the, there there's no arguments it's only when the the rules need to be changed and those written regulations are altered, or we have a technical directive for argument's sake, uh, that then you you know you start to, to 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 think about what they've been doing behind the scenes that isn't really um, on. From a sporting perspective
1: okay so I wanna I want to bring up one of the more interesting stories to me um, throughout this entire um, turbo hybrid regulation Mercedes has had more or less the benchmark power unit until this season when Honda in its last full season made a raft of miraculous upgrades at the last minute and it seemed that they were on par but it actually emerged towards the end of the season, that Mercedes had a degradation problem with their power unit. I'm used to hearing about tire degradation, but what are what are they referencing here, and and how big of an impact was it really having on the team's performance?
3: So obviously, yeah, everything that we produce has a lifespan. Um, and and will degrade over time. Um, You know, that old saying, uh, they don't make them like they used to. Uh, Basically, you know, a power unit will degrade over time. It's the curve at which it degrades over time. Um, what we're talking about in terms of the Mercedes is the internal combustion engine. Let, let's not forget that. We're not just talking about the entire power unit because there's, there's many components that make up that. Um, but the internal combustion engine, uh, you know, the oily bits, let's call it, um, is what was degrading quicker on on the mercedes this year and it's all down to tolerances we have to remember the, the the great tolerances that these engines work at um and so you know over time something just becomes a little bit less slack you know it comes a bit more slack um allows a little bit more oil to pass through that little bit more than it did before uh there's wear there's heat there's so much going on in the oily bits as we're as we've already called them, um, that um, there's going to be some degradation. It's just how high that curve is. Now, I actually believe that the deg on the Mercedes power unit has been there for for some time. It's not just isolated to this season. It's just that we've never really noticed it at this this sort of high end because uh, we've got more races on the calendar. So we were technically pushing the allocation of power unit components much further than there had been in the past Um, we were going to different circuits that we hadn't been to before so you put in the power units on different stress and duress than they've been through before Um, and obviously you've got the Honda power unit as you mentioned has made a huge leap forward from where it was the previous season and so suddenly Mercedes are under pressure and perhaps they're running their power unit in modes longer and harder than they have in the past to try to make up uh, or, or improve upon the deficit that uh, was created by Honda making that big step. Okay, so this obviously affected
1: Mercedes. And I know Formula One is famous for, I can buy the same engine as you, but it's not really going to be the same engine the way the technicians from your firm run it, even though you have to have the same modes now, and they've introduced all those regulations. was Did this impact, do you think, Williams, and especially I'd be curious about McLaren, because they were in a proper battle with Ferrari, do you do you think this might have been part of their end of season drop in form?
3: I, I think, yeah, you can call some of the deg problems um, an issue for the the customer teams in as much as that uh, the you know the the curve had to last over a longer period of time, otherwise you were taking a penalty. Uh, that's that that's where the big advantage comes from in terms of the Hamilton situation is that we remember that these power unit components, i.e. the internal combustion engine, I believe had to last, uh, we only had three before penalty, yes? So yeah. that's that's eight races that, or eight, eight, seven races that, that they've got to last. Um, Hamilton's only lasted three, the last one, I believe, because I don't think they ran it in Qatar. So even though they introduced it in Brazil, they went back to an older specification for Qatar. So they had a big run at the the final two races. Um, But obviously the other teams pay for their power units and they don't want to pay more money because they've had to replace another power unit. So there's a cost element as well, I guess, involved in the situation. You want to run it for as long as you can uh, and, and get as much performance as you can from it. Um, So I would suggest that it had an impact. But we also have to remember that Ferrari had a big upgrade on their power unit, which had a major effect on their positioning in the championship in relation to McLaren, uh, certainly in the back end of the season.
1: Uh, So we can take it then that that was a pretty successful upgrade for
3: Ferrari. And
1: um, do you think that maybe gives them a little something going into next season?
3: Yeah, I mean, this was a, a fast forward advanced Development from Ferrari was introduced um, this season with eyes for 2022 anyway um, they were testing this ERS system hoping that it would give them the performance advantage that they expected but if it didn't then they could make some alterations to the power unit going into 22 uh, that would allow them you know it gave them the, the, the time to make changes ahead of 22 um, if there were problems with the ERS system which obviously there wasn't, it has given them uh, a a big leap in performance relative to where they were um, in the first half of the season, when considering that they haven't really had many chassis and aerodynamic upgrades um, in the back end of the season. So, you know, all that performance they've found is from the power unit because there's nothing really been added to the car elsewhere. Okay, so I think it's time for the
1: lightning round now. Every team on the grid has told us that they are stopping development to focus on their 22 cars. Every team has been working on their 22 car. And it's it just Derek, the intern. Derek, the intern, is the only person left working on this year's car. They're all at it so hard. So I think it's time for you, and I'm going to borrow this phrase, so please don't be angry at me, to sort out the porky pies here and tell me which teams have really stopped given up and moved most of their operations on and which ones might have just been sucked into spending a little bit extra this season because who knows what's going to happen next season let's start with mercedes
3: okay so first off as a as a cover all to every team if they hadn't got something in the development pipeline in January 1 this season ready to go looking at the 22 car they failed because that's when the cutoff started for you to be able to start looking at this year's car from a wind tunnel CFD perspective. You know, so if you haven't already associated some of your development time and some of your development team onto the twenty two project at that time, you've already given up some of the potential low hanging fruit that's on offer for twenty two. Whether you found the answers you require for twenty two. In that period is a different matter but you would potentially have given some of that up
1: okay so fair enough what i'm talking about uh, just to be clear to our listeners because i realize i might not have been clear is i want to know when the teams brought their last big development because i'm taking that as proof that you were telling me the truth when you said the things you said so let's start with mercedes when was their last big development
3: last big development was silverstone um, they bought a big package of parts at Silverstone and they were still rectification parts in my opinion not performance enhancements um, from the start of the season they were still trying to find performance or recoup performance that they'd lost they did have one other development but it never made a race they'd bought a new front wing later in the season and it only really appeared uh, a couple of times in free practice but it never made it onto the car uh, it was only a small change to the outer section of the upper flaps. Um, but nonetheless, it's interesting that they, you know, they developed something and then couldn't find on-track performance from it.
1: That is. Uh, Red Bull, when did they bring their last big development? Not that they're, all, they're iterative week after week, I know, but you know what I mean.
3: Yeah. I mean, just as as well as a, as a side note here, performance can be found irrespective of whether you're adding new parts, i.e. fresh designs, or whether you're adding redeveloped parts, have to remember that these parts have fatigue to them. So although the cars don't appear to have new parts on them, they're still, in some cases, new parts. They've just got less fatigue on them. They're a new version of that component. And I think that's very interesting when you consider the cost cap, um, and what teams were prepared to you know to manufacture coming into the back end of the season, especially teams like Haas that were saying that they were running out of spare parts, and Red Bull who we 're just covering now, they were saying that towards the end of the season that they were struggling and they hadn 't got enough fresh parts as we were coming towards the back end of the the season and towards the latter end of the races, so you know that perhaps they they 'd cut a few corners trying to make parts last longer um, and that has degradation again you know small degradation but it does have some performance losses especially when we're talking about big components like floors and wings and those sort of things Um, but in terms of their development red bull um they continued beyond um mercedes in terms of their development and for me red bull was still adding performance they'd gone past the recuperation point long before this um you know they, they were adding part after part and in fact it, it staggered me how many parts arrived for the RB16B throughout the year it was almost like at every race they arrive with a new front wing or uh, you know a, a new piece on the floor it was a huge amount of development work um, that went into the Red Bull and as is customary I might add there will be some um, articles coming out that I put out during the Christmas and New New Year period um, detailing the the you know the the development of all the different cars throughout the grid um because i've been doing that annually for such a long time now uh, so we'll, we'll we'll obviously have one for each car we'll, but yeah red- we'll, go on
1: i was gonna say we'll all be happily on the couch reading those stories once uh the presents are open and the uh, comestibles are consumed
3: <laughs> but yeah red Bull went much further into the season in in, in terms of developments um whether that has hindered them from a 22 perspective They have got in the opening phase of the season a small percentage more of wind tunnel and CFD than Mercedes. So you could argue that they, you know, they could manage that situation a little bit better. Uh, That's the interesting part of this sort of narrative of the handicapping system that's come in is that certain teams will have been able to make or should be able to make big leaps forward, not only to, you know, not only having gone through it this season, but also into 22. Uh, and the next team up that will have gone through that phase is Ferrari, because they were the ones at the start of the season because of their finishing position in 2020 had hundred percent of the handic- in the handicap system um, so they had the you know the maximum amounts available to them aside from the likes of Williams, who went over the hundred percent marker um, but a great deal more than those ahead of them like Ferrari uh, like Mercedes and Red Bull. So the thing with Ferrari is, although they've upgraded their power unit to make big gains towards the end of the season, they didn't put a huge amount of effort into the car itself. Aerodynamically, they didn't have a huge amount of upgrades. So to me, Ferrari could be the big ticket item going into 22 if they've spent wisely on their development and have found what they needed to in the early stages.
1: Okay. Well, you're almost anticipating the last question I'm going to ask you, but, Quickly, let's get to the rest of the teams. When did McLaren throw in the towel? Uh,
3: Around the French Grand Prix, we saw a new rear wing design for them. Uh, They had the lower element of the the rear wing, had the louvered panel, uh, much like we have saw around the rest of the grid. Um, Interesting that they went down that route, and it's something that nobody else copied in the back end of the season. But then they had that diffuser design that was talked about at the start of the season that nobody copied either. Um, So interesting to see that they had some novel ideas um, that just didn't make it into other people's development programs, which is unusual um, in this kind of season.
1: All right. um, Let's move on to Alpine. Just going down the championship order here. They pulled the uh, rabbit out of the hat at the very last minute in their Alpha Tauri battle. When did they uh, officially give up bringing lots of new stuff to their car?
3: Uh, was that 2018? <laughs> oh my! Oh my! <laughs> well, let let me clarify why I'm saying that. Um, the chassis on the car this year is technically three years old. You know they they've been in carryover. Oh. Ca- they've been in carryover for three seasons because we must remember that 2021 was supposed to be when we got the new car. So they'd already set their stall out much earlier to you know allow for the the the, the, the gap.
1: So Alpine Ferrari, that's what we're looking at for winning next year.
3: I'm not suggesting they're going to win. I'm suggesting that they <laughs> had the the biggest knee up in terms of having what they've got at their disposal um, and looking into uh, 2022. Interestingly, from Alpine's point of view, obviously running the... Alpine, Renault, Po unit, whatever they want to call it. Um, they're the only ones running it, which I think is difficult for them in many respects. Um, but again, it's a two-year-old design. So they should make big gains relative to where they've been this season going into next season. But again, have they made the right choices? Um, they're still running a single design turbo rather than the split design that we've seen Honda um, take on board from what was originally the Mercedes layout in 2014, uh, and you know there were rumors that Ferrari were going to go down that route as well. Whether that materializes, we we wait to see. Uh, but yeah, Alpine again, I would put um, in the category of should be a good improver.
1: All right, um, let's talk about tauri their nearest rivals. How late into the season did they push their focus this year at the expense of next season?
3: again not a huge amount of development from AlphaTauri i think again this comes down to budgetary constraints and having one eye on on 22 or maybe even two eyes in in some respects for certain teams um again being a sort of sister team they don't have the resources that red bull have so they have to spend what they have wisely um but yeah they were sort of petering out towards the the front to middle end of the season
1: all right and um uh, Aston, how, how late did they go? Did they
3: put a lot of effort into this season? Aston Martin, we still sort of saw, saw stuff coming through around Spa from them. Okay. Um, nothing significant because, again, I think most of the performance they were looking for was re- recuperation, as we've already mentioned. Um, they were just trying to, to to find that level point with their, their previous downforce levels um, because of the, the regulation changes. But on top of that, they were starting to to look at other ideas um, to to try to recover things, but nothing significant from Aston past past spa really.
1: Okay, and Williams, I think, is an interesting case. Um, they seem to have some signs of life, but but how far did they push it this season? When did they? When did they? When was their last big development showing up?
3: Well, I think the interesting thing with Williams is the leap forward that they made in the front end of the season because they suddenly unlocked performance. Now, they had a barge board cluster diffuser floor upgrade in the early part of the season, and that's when they made the big vault forwards. And I think that was uh, not only a recuperation um, effort, I think they made more downforce than perhaps even they considered might be possible from those upgrades, if you kind of understand where I'm coming from. You know, it just kind of put them back into play. You know, they, they weren't, fighting at the front let's let's say were they but they'd certainly recovered uh, to a point where they were able to fight with other teams around them and, and obviously they've, they've picked up points uh, that that gave them a, a good season um compared to the likes of alfa romeo and haas
1: right well haas we don't have to deal with because they they did not bring anything um but alfa romeo looked like they should have been challenging and they weren't. So is this just—is a season where they just gave up very early then or, or were, they, were they actually pushing to get results?
3: Uh, I think they were pushing to get some results, but I think that the biggest issue for Alpha was when Williams accrued the points in Spa it effectively handed Williams the place above them because they just couldn't accrue that many points. They were a deficit at that point, however they'd already switched off development okay. um from a from a you know a large scale point of view. We still saw some some small bits come through as we did with all the teams. interestingly going back to williams it's the first time in probably i don't know eight years we've seen a Monza spec rear wing from them, which to me suggest Whoa, that there's a years yeah that they, they, they just haven't been bringing a, a Monza only spec rear wing that it's an interesting race Monza because teams spend development specifically for that race because of the the, the track layout so you see obviously the lowest downforce rear wing that you'll see all year but in previous years Williams have just been using their low downforce rear wing you would see at other circuits Um, not a specific rear wing. So I find it interesting that they spent development there, hoping that they would probably uh, pick up some points at at the back end of the grid.
1: Okay, so it is now crystal ball time. And I'm going to ask you this very specific question about a tweet that I saw on Twitter. Yes, a tweet on Twitter. Imagine that. Uh, Saying that there's a rumor there is speculation that one or two teams have found a brawn-level breakthrough for next season's regulations. So first of all, who do you think, who's going to be the surprise? Who do you expect to be there? But specifically, have you heard this rumor? What teams do you think might be in the mix to be one of those two teams is really, really what I want to know.
3: Okay, so the trouble with a brawn-level introduction of a of a development path is that it could be quite quickly out regulated based on the way that the FIA have set their store out for next season and going forward in as much as that they they want to these loopholes to be closed quite quickly so it, it could be a, something that gets Chopped off at the knees. I certainly wouldn't turn up at testing with it if they think they're going for something such, such big, such a <laughs> big advantage as we've seen with Formula One teams in the past. Um, even with Braun, actually, you know, they came out of the block so quick, um, uh, and then started sandbagging immediately because they knew how quick they were. Um, I have heard the rumors. I can't say which teams it is. However, oh what i would say it's just it, us
1: though it's just just me and a just,
3: few other people who might listen later just me you and a few thousand people that might hear it tell um, us oh there's a wild spanners i'm not here
1: <laughs> there's our producer in the background spanners who has graciously managed to keep himself almost awake throughout the entirety of the recording
3: well, let's just ju- let's just rewind to who I suggested might make the biggest leaps forward. Um, but it's all relative. This is the thing. And, yeah. you know, we're going into a, a brand new car design, one we've not seen before. So many new design aspects that, that all of the teams have to encounter. Um, going to be int- so interesting to see the differences that emerge between them and how then the teams respond to those differences. This is the thing that I always like to... To to see is the convergence of ideas, and that's where you know that something is good because you'll suddenly see that everybody has to adopt it. Um, we've seen that down down the years in number numerous ways. The double deck diffuser, the F ductors, just two, you know, two examples. If something is that good, teams will put it in their tunnel, having put it in CFD, and it will make it to the car, um, irrespective of what that cost them in terms of their own development plans because that's at which point you know that it is extremely extremely important and is almost what you would consider to be a silver bullet
1: okay so since you're not going to tell us tell us who tell us who you think will be intriguing or surprised like who should we be keeping an eye on just based on your overall sense of the advantages they've had and things they've shown this season about how their management structures have been operating. And I guess you could even include the uh, drivers that might be more talented than other drivers.
3: Well, I I firmly believe that you can't look any further than the two teams that have finished out at the top of the, the the tree this year. You know, Mercedes and Red Bull have got a huge amount of resource at their disposal and irrespective of how much and how hard they've pushed one another this year you can guarantee that they've spent a significant amount of budget and performance and resources on developing the 2022 car having said that Ferrari to me look like a team that uh, are going places their, their power unit upgrade was fairly substantial if they can match that in terms of the chassis designed for next year compared to the likes of mercedes and red bull then you know they they could well be in the hunt and they obviously have two very good skilled drivers behind the wheel as well um i'd like to see where alpine end up in the mix because as i say they've been mashing around with a car that's kind of a few years old for for a little while now and managed to find that performance at the end of the season as you mentioned and so it'll be interesting to see how that translates um going into 22 but the one for me that again i know i mentioned them at the start of the season and i was probably pretty wrong um but because of their the resource that they have at their disposal the signings that they've made although they won't be involved in this car design the one team that i would like to look at going 22 23 is aston martin because i think that they have or will have the structure to be able to mix it with the big boys Um, They've spent a huge amount of time and resource trying to resolve uh, some of the the technical aspects of their setup um, as a company, not only designing the car itself.
1: Okay, well, thank you very much for being with us today where can we find you on the social medias and where can we look for your amazing golf videos <laughs>
3: okay so best place to find me on social media is on twitter summers f1 and if you are interested in golf in any way shape or form you can watch me play because i've been recording my rounds unbelievably uh and if you search you, youtube for in the swing is the name of the channel um, and that's where you can find those videos
1: Okay, excellent. Before I give you my sign-off, I need to take a special moment and say thanks to all of my fellow panelists. I also need to thank the Missed Apex team, Uncle Steve giving us the Peerless videos, Felix rocking the website, and of course, my partner and silent producer in today's show, Spanners without whom none of this would be possible. Thank you so much. And last, I do want to thank our patrons for making this madness possible. It's been a remarkable journey for me. I think for everyone associated with the show, we could not do it without you. So thank you all from the bottom of my heart. And one last thing I will plug, we do have an endurance race coming up for charity. Please do check that out on our Missed Apex Motorsport channel and me, Oh hey, I'm Matt PT55 on the internet. Look for me on the Twitter, send me emails that I will probably ignore, but won't mean to. And until next time, drive hard, play loose, and be kind to your tires. <laughs> we have like a whole nother show left in our notes. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> if
3: you guys want to get together and record uh, our o- audio only patron thing you're more than welcome small
1: details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because rustoleum's new custom spray five and one gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks crannies edges and curves